Welcome everybody to another episode of El Cafecito. My name is Leonardo Cassander. I'm your host for this third season. Reminding everyone that El Cafecito is sponsored by the Latin American Studies Department at the University of Toronto. Without them, nothing of this would have been possible. And now for my introduction, what is happening in Brazil? I'm sorry, but I have to say what is happening in Brazil right now. I am just completely shocked. Hola, hello, Cuba. My name is Raquel Serrano and Eva Morales, a controversial figure or who is this former Bolivian president? Hola chicos, aquí quien habla Guillermo Paturí y afuera con los golpistas. Okay, so we're here to talk about Bolivia and we've been um, in the recent episodes going through the wave of protests that happened in Chile. Then we talked about some issues in Peru and now uh, we thought that we could start opening up the year by talking about something that happened last year and talking about the the political situation in Bolivia so that we can cover maybe basically the main events that happened in Latin America um, in the last kind of last semester we've been able to cover so that was really nice and 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 Bolivia was the last one um, that we had to talk about and it was really important because it, sh it shook the basis of many systems and it led to a lot of wave of protests even during COVID and also contentious and polarized like in Brazil like in many Latin American countries. Before we talk about Bolivia, we're actually talking about Bolivia, I wanted to ask who is Evo Morales and why is he so important right now and why are people, why people talk about him in Bolivia and why he's so important for as a national figure there? I think that's a great question and an important question to be asking due to the the figure and what Evo Morales represented, not only in Bolivia, but also in Latin America. He was uh, the first uh, indigenous president elected in, in Bolivia and his, uh, cons um, the reforms to the constitution, his policies created a different Bolivian society uh, that has been supported for many, but also has been criticized criticized for many others. So I think his, his figure, what he represented as a as an indigenous leader, says a lot about the way he, uh, the way his first years of being president, how he came to power, his history and his background represents a lot of these, his policies and the things he did as, as president. And I'll say that that's what matter, or like the, the importance of, of, of Evo Morales is what he represented for the uh, Bolivian society. Yeah, Raquel, I totally agree. I just want to touch on, like you already touched on this very well, but I wanted to go a bit deeper in it. Like um, Bolivia, like many countries in South America is, uh, is a country where um, these these groups who that are sometimes the majority really of the population have never really had representation at the top. Um, and Evo was the first leader from an indigenous community. And if I'm, I'm, my, I might be mistaken, but I also think he was the first non-white uh, president of Bolivia. And that, well, shows how, you know, how, how impactful his his term really was, uh, giving voice to a, a huge section of the Bolivian population, which had uh, been marginalized for uh, many decades uh, since independence. So I think that really builds to the fact of why he is so important and seen as such as, a, yeah, an important figure in Bolivia. And like Lula in, in, in Brazil, he was one of these pink type presidents that was also able to favor and make uh, the bourgeoisie or the upper class um, in support of his policies because he had a a government that in, that invested a lot in the export of hydrocarbons. 
he was one who nationalized. There's still discussion whether he was able to fully nationalize it or whether it was just a form of, of just taxing, like a hyper taxing rather than actually nationalizing. And he did appropriate many of the profits of many companies to the state. And so he had some of these left-wing policies, but he also favored the, 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 the upper classes with these, with these investments in hydrocarbons, especially. So this form of extractivism and economic extractivism that funds the Bolivian economy was actually really successful. So you had like a miracle from 2006 to 2014 with high growth and reduction of poverty. Um, and then you had a, a 5% growth rate a year, which is fantastic for such a poor Latin American countries. Remember, it's one of the poorest Latin American countries with uh, over 30% of people living in poverty. So it's really, really impoverished and, and really divided too. So Evo came as a figure that, that pleased both sides. And he was able to he was able to unite the country under this this banner of not only of indigeneity in this uh, 2009 constitution. He was able to reform the constitution and create a new one, where he declared the plurinational state of Bolivia, um, and it's and he he recognized that there are many nations within the nation, which is record breaking for Latin America. Really hard to do, um, f- recognizing that many Latin American countries are just republics and not not multinational states like Bolivia is. And so he was able to implement a lot of progressive policies together with these uh, these policies that favored many of the upper classes, right? Yeah, and I wanted to talk a little bit about like the the policies and how, uh, in terms of like the re- reduction of poverty and how like what he represented as a an indigenous leader, taking into account that Bolivia, like most of the population, comes from uh, an indigenous background. So with the 2009 constitution, it was kind of like the first time that all these different um, nationalities and groups were recognized as, as such. And I think that was a, maybe like a marking point in his, in his political career. And even in like the Bolivian society, the political society in, in the process of nation still state building, like who's part of the society, who's included, who's being taken into account. And I think that one of the positive things about his period of, in of being the president of Bolivia is was, it was this recognition towards um, many indigenous groups and communities as part of the Bolivian society. Yeah, exactly. And for this unity, he was able to uh, maintain his uh, maintain an office for a long time. So because of the reform of the constitution, his first uh, term in, in office did not count because the constitution was constitution was changed. So therefore, he continued in office. Wait, before we continue into that, what do you think about that? Because yeah, that, okay. the idea that's, that it's contentious. I we can talk about that, and and I was I was gonna ask about it, but uh, we can we can we're definitely talking about it. So like I well. It's, it's complicated. I think that um, in many ways, the claims of the Bolivian rights and the Bolivian rights claims that they call, they call the, the Movimiento Socialismo, which is the mass, which is the Evo Morales party. Uh, a, they call them Satanists, they call them evil, they call them the devil, um, they call them Bol- Bolivarian too. And in, in, in many ways, I think it, I understand why they call them Bolivarian because Evo Morales was walking down a path that could lead to some form of hindrance to the democracy, right? Um, just like the Bolivarian Republic of Venezuela did, uh, not with Hugo Chavez, but definitely with Maduro 
And I, I, with, I seem, but Evan Morales going in presidency for this long, I'm starting to worry that this might have turned into something else, like a Putin-like or a Maduro-like government. And that's not ideal for any country, even in Latin America. And even though it's a good, like a, a, a government that, that supported the people that was, that made progressive and, and important changes in the constitution, it had to be changed. It has to be uh, cycled through democracy. I think that's what should have like happened. What about you? I think it's a controversial idea. The fact that he kind of like said, my first term didn't like doesn't count because it was under the, the previous constitution. So now I'm allowed to be to run for like another for, run again for president. I, I just think like it's too like where can you draw the line of like actually following what the constitution says, of following what democracy is supposed to represent, but at the same time trying to achieve your goals as president and kind of like continue your political career. I, I think that especially like the last um, elections, uh, I was watching this um, uh, documental about the entire political uh, crisis in Bolivia and the person that was uh, being interviewed there said that many people thought that it was a right to the people, like it's a right for like the population to choose who they want to elect as president but at the same time there should be a limit and like I think that that's what happened with Evo Morales he was he was trying to raise the line that he drew for a few years ago yeah, yeah exactly. so he was like it's like once he called yeah. for plebiscites right and he called for plebiscite yeah. and he won I believe and and in a way if you think about it it's, it's democratic right he was able he he did it but in and in in also in that sense exactly how you're saying it's like extending your own limits becomes iffy you start to like question like oh so then he doesn't he's not keeping to some of his promises right he's clinging on to his power maybe so i i can definitely understand that and i think that's one of the at least in ecuador uh with with rafael correa uh, one of the things that many, many people criticize about him, like he made the constitution to favor his, his politics. And that, that's something that like, how can you like that? There's a lot of debate about that. Like when, when presidents um, kind of like create this new constitution or try to make some amendments to them, it's just like the line between these reforms contributing to a democratic process or to, I don't know, better the, the population and like the, the society is it's also like so controversial when like these same reforms and policies are just uh there to support these specific group and then when they want to stay in power it's just like how can we really support them or how can we know that what they're doing is actually for the uh, like the best interest of the population because you said man that the you said that um, there was there was indeed a, a referendum, a plebiscite to ask if, if he if he could run for a third term because of the constitution, and, and he was actually narrowly defeated, um, with no being winning a bit under, winning the vote by a bit under hundred thousand votes. Uh, and then what happened is he asked the the Supreme Court of Bolivia if he if he could run, even though he he lost the plebiscite. And then the Supreme Court was mostly um, had mostly judges favorable to him, said that he could. So, well, although it wasn't technically illegal uh, because the Supreme Court is the uh, uh, the judiciary branch of Bolivia allowed it, as you two said, it was very iffy. 
and, and it opened the door for contests uh, of the election results when, when they did come and they appeared to be a bit, well, uh, not great. Although later on, uh, some independent research found out there was no, there was no fraud. But it, as you two said, the whole situation was in quicksand. It was unstable, and um, it, 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 this this whole this whole "am I allowed to run another time or not?" definitely contributed to the the violence and, and hostilities we said and we saw in the in the elections in 2018, 2019. I'm sorry. And mentioning the elections, what happened in the elections? Because I, I remember it was it was a contentious issue. People were talking about Bolivia at that point. What exactly happened in that October 2019 election? Well, so what happened really was that, um, to put it in as simple terms as I can, uh, Evo Morales was, there were many candidates, but the second strongest one was former president Carlos Mesa. In Bolivia, if any candidate achieves over 45% of the vote in the first round, and the, the, the second candidate does not achieve over 40% of the vote, there is no second. There is no. There is no runoff or, or second round, as we call it in Latin America. And then uh, it seemed as if, while results were coming in in election night, it seemed as if uh, Evo was gonna win, but not have enough to uh, win outright in the first round. Uh, but then there was a, a a blackout, and votes stopped coming in for a long time. There were some issues with with the voting places. Um, and when they did uh, get the votes back, they came in really quickly after a while and they gave uh, Evo the, the, the win in the first round. And that made the opposition call fraud. And that led to the to widespread violence for several months. And, uh, well, Evo Morales had to flee Bolivia. And most of his party was effectively purged by rioters uh, with one mayor, like there was a case of a mayor who was was shunned in the streets uh, of her small city in Bolivia. Um, and yeah, and it, it led to the rise of a congresswoman called Janine Agnes, yeah. Mrs. Agnes, um, who was just a congresswoman. And and she was, she cited some article in the constitution saying that when the office of the president is vacant, the president of the House of Representatives should become president. But she didn't have a quorum in the House of Representatives because the majority party, the MAS Leo that you were talking about, was not allowed to come in for the proceedings. So that's why most people say that her government was illegitimate, although it was a de facto government uh, until a couple of months ago. Yeah, we can't forget that the OIA, the Organization of American States, the OAS, denounced the election as fraudulent, and that would, that's what made most of the international media start to doubt Evo Morales, right? Um, because initially they... The, the, the results were unstable. They didn't know exactly what happened. But when the OAS uh, evaluated it and denounced it as fraudulent, that's when people started to like really crack on, on Evo. And that's when you started to have like major, major paid protests in Brazil, in sorry, in Bolivia. Um, and you had um, the end of basically his presidency after 14 years in power, which is really long. And you had the rise of many right-wing um, figures uh, after the kind of the fall of Evo, including um, Camacho, what's his first name? Uh, Macho Camacho, Luis Fernando Camacho. And he he is this extremely like religious Christian, Demo Christian conservative. And he uh, rallied supporters in Santa Cruz in what he calls civic committees. So which are 
quite scary forms of uh, like proto troops, and he called Evo Morales Satanás, and he got really pro he got really uh, famous because of these protests, um, leading the protests in Santa Cruz. And it's interesting to note too uh, the division in Bolivia that we didn't really talk about, um, but it's central and crucial to the politics and the culture of Bolivia, which is the distinction between the Cambas and the Coyas, right? The the Cambas are the people uh, from the Orient lowlands, from the east, uh, considered to be more white, or at least there's a little bit more white ascendancy and mestizos in that region. While the Coyas are from the highlands, from La Paz, from the west, and and they're considered to be more indigenous. And the mass supporters are generally Koyas, uh, while in general, most of, some of the protests uh, against Evo Morales happened in many of the Kamba regions. And these are the regions that also the small, uh, the, the small department of Santa Cruz, that's where uh, is Camacho is widely supported. So it's interesting to know how there were many right-wing forces that rose up after Evo Morales left in this like power vacuum. And then you had the, the bizarre figure of Janine Inanias in the presidency, right? She, uh, as Gilly promptly noted, she theoretically uh, got into power uh, illegitimately. And she, when she took office, she was showing off this copy of the Bible um, and reaffirming that the Bible should come back to the States. And she had she had a, a terrible track record in the presidency of, of Bolivia, I'd say, in, in, in principle managing the COVID crisis. Uh, in her presidency, we had a huge repression of indigenous protests in the region of Sakaba and Senkata, uh, with like 30 people killed and hundreds of wounded. So we had an increase in the, the repression of, of mostly indigenous people and, and violent uh, reaction to protests. And she said, among the other things she said, that uh, she adhered to the Republic and not to the plurinational state of Bolivia. So going back or uh, going back and trying to remove the policies uh, implemented by Evo Morales, she called mass followers savages. It's the same kind of discourse that you find in Brazil with many of the Bolsonaristas, where they call the people that work that 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 favor the that have voted for the Workers Party as savages, as as idiots. So it's the same kind of form of be, uh, conserv uh, conservatism that uh, that seems to to be quite chauvinistic and divide up the 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 political spectrum. It's and she had many other issues such as buying overpriced respirators from Spain and having uh, this interior minister called Arturo Morillo, who faced harsh criticism. Um, he, uh, he had this aggressive rhetoric against narco-trafficking and he labeled uh, the narco-traffickers terrorists and they call, he called the mass, uh, the mass supporters Castro Chavistas. So it had this, this the, the Janine Anganes, uh, Anganes uh, presidency had this big discourse against the mass. It was based on a platform against the mass. So it was anti-mass, uh, uh, form of being conservative in, in Bolivia, right? And then Evo went into exile. Uh, he went to Mexico, but then stayed in Argentina. And that's when he was fired with uh, charges and like different kinds of things. One of them was sexual assault in August 2020 and terrorism in July 2020. So he was... Uh, uh, he was he was charged with he was charged with all these uh, crimes while in exile. 
but in and then in 2020 uh you had the coming of the election so the issue with uh, the election and the presidential campaign was that it was postponed many times it was initially planned to go on in may and then september and then october it finally happened um, it was postponed by Agnes by, because of COVID. She said that it was risky. And so she kept on postponing the elections, which became a problem, right? It started to become a problem uh, when people, when many analysts thought that she would hang on to power by keep on postponing the election terms, the, the presidential elections. But eventually it happened in, in October. And he had the polls indicating a slight victory for Arce. Uh, uh, Luis Arce, who eventually became the president, who becomes the president of Bolivia, against Carlos Meza, mentioned by by Gilia previously. It's important to see how the Bolivian community uh, economy was doing. It was at a 7.9 percent GDP uh, decrease because of the pandemic, and that was a stark decrease compared to the five percent growth that was happening during the Boliv the Evo Morales years. So. Uh, this is a country that's already really poor and that uh, struggled a lot during the pandemic, especially uh, the, the disenfranchised population, the indigenous peoples uh, suffered a lot with the pandemic. And with uh, the economic crisis at hand, it worsens even the conditions of people that are already uh, affected by the pandemic. And that created a massive wave of polarization in, uh, in Bolivia. Um, but now I wanted to know who is Luis Arce and why is in what what does he think about Evo? Like, is he different from Evo or is he just the same thing? Um, well, I'd argue that he's quite different, really. Uh, uh, Luis Arce was Evo's minister of, of finance or economy minister or secretary treasury or whatever you call it, um, the same position for most of his, if not all, if I'm not mistaken, of, of Evo's term as president. And while Eva was always this incendiary figure, uh, talking about imperialism and the colossus of the North, referring to the United States, uh, Louise Arce was always a, a calmer presence in the room, uh, more pragmatic, I like to say. Uh, he had, there was even a, uh, an article in the Wall Street Journal, um, you know, commenting on how well he was handling uh, the Ministry of Finance in Bolivia. So um, I'd say that Arce is very different from Evo for just being generally more pragmatic more quiet even he's not as incendiary as i said before as evo and but he is a brilliant economist and has well everything to succeed really especially now where bolivia needs um well, most countries in the world do but bolivia as well needs a, a strong economic response to fought when the covid 19 pandemic does end and and yeah and, and in the presidential elections you had other candidates uh, other than luis arce representing the mass you had Luis Fernando Camacho, the Macho Camacho, as we mentioned before. Um, and he was supported by, by the Kamba elites and he had this uh, principles of Christian fundamentalism. And he had finally Carlos Mesa, who was uh, the second running candidate, who focused his campaign mostly on the middle class dissatisfaction with Morales. Um, and he didn't really engage with the lower classes in his in his uh, presidential campaign. And this is I think this was the the recipe for success, recipe for the mass success, because they did engage with uh, with low with uh, progressive policies that target the lower income population. While Mesa always had this argument that favored the elites and the middle class, um, and especially the middle class dissatisfaction with Evo and with the progressive policies that Evo promoted. Interesting to note another parallel with Brazil is that 
this this wave against this middle class wave was able to win the elections in Brazil and elect Bolsonaro, but didn't happen in, in Bolivia, right? Bolivia was maintained in the mass government. Uh, so it's interesting to see how there's still many differences in the left wing pink tide parties, despite their equal presidential uh, times in office and in, in, uh, in campaigning in the early uh, 21st century. So Luis Arce uh, won in the elections against these other uh, two candidates. And now as the Bolivian president, uh, many say that he's reigniting the left in Latin America uh, because he becomes again another leader from uh, a center-left uh, center party to win an election. So you'd have um, Andres Lopez Obrador in Mexico, Alberto Fernandez in Argentina, then you have Luis Arce now in Bolivia, uh, other than the Cubans, right? Um, but the center-left forces seem to be reigniting and um, reinforcing their uh, established positions in Latin America. Uh, as as Gilly said, uh, Arce is very different from, from Evo. Uh, it's interesting to note that he didn't mention Evo in his presidential speech, so He's a person that since the beginning of the campaign, he was trying to uh, remove himself from the figure of Evo and try to establish himself as an independent figure from Evo's, uh, Evo's uh, political conditions. So now um, Mesa does that uh, despite allowing Evo's return. So in early November this year, he allows Evo to return and he removes the arrest warrants that Evo had made, uh, that Janine Agnes had made on Evo, and uh, Evo returns to Bolivia uh, and makes uh, a rally, makes rally people, uh, people are excited, people support Evo when he comes back. Arce, this figure of Arce is trying to uh, really create a, a, re a big distance between the figure of Evo because Evo was so contentious and creates so many, so much polarization. And Arce is now uh, trying to focus on a similar form of policy that Maza engaged in. Uh, so this same idea of neo-protectionism, um, focusing on hydrocarbon production. He talks about tourism. Uh, he has mentions to the lithium mines in Bolivia. Now with uh, battery production going uh, up high, lithium is going to be really uh, interesting in the, the international market. So lithium mines are being uh, are being sought a lot, and uh, they're especially located in Bolivia. And so you have a president, a new president that distanced from the figure of Evo, but still has many of the policies that Evo had, right? I agree. On that note, last month in, in Bolivia, the, the government uh, canceled more than six or seven uh, reforms that Agnes, the government tried to implement in the country. And like, these are, like, this is just one of the examples of how Arce is trying to uh, almost like redirect the country to towards the same ideas and policies that Evo had when he was um, the president of Bolivia. And I think this is also like something that speaks up a lot about the, the political stability and instability in Latin American countries with like how uh, we have one, let's say we have one president make some reforms, then comes the next one, makes other reforms to cancel those reforms and then tries to establish new ones. And then like 
this process uh, keeps repeating itself after the end of um, the precedent, like the, 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 the person period and so on. So I'm just wondering like how, um, what's gonna be the future for the Bolivian society in like the next couple couple years, how the economy is gonna grow or how it's gonna be impacted not only by the political crisis, but also like the pandemic itself and how the pandemic has affected uh, many, many people in Bolivia, especially uh, the, the low-income classes and many indigenous people and many indigenous communities. Um, so I'm just wondering what's gonna be the future of the Bolivian society with Arce being the, the leader of the country and what's gonna be the future, not only in terms of the political stability, but also the public health policies, other uh, rights in terms of, uh, I know that with, with Evo, there were some criticism against his policies regarding the construction of highways and the construction of other uh, transportation methods uh, that had to, like that were gonna destroy the, the national parks and so on. So I'm just wondering, what's going to be Arce's position in terms of all these different topics that we've talked about, the politics, politics, health, the environment, rights for, for the people, and how all these policies are going to be implemented and what's going to be, what's going to be the, the impact of these policies. And he hasn't indicated any, any, um, I, I'd say any, any, any form of deviation from the initial mass policies. Um, it seems to me like he will continue with many of the environmental policies that were continued by mass, which is which is sad to say, um, because in because you have this form of new extractivism that that uh, destroys the Amazonian rainforest and and destroys the soil and destroys the environment uh, for the sake of growth and the development of the economy, and I think that Bolivia was in the right track of weighing its possibilities of environmentalism and of sustainable development. Uh, but with the coming of Luis Arce, let's see what are gonna be his real environmental policies there. That's a good point you touched on Raquel because it's uh, a, uh, also a contentious point in Bolivia, in Evo Morales uh, administration of how he dealt with the environmental policy given his focus on hydrocarbons. But it's interesting it's interesting to see whether Arce is going to be able to handle these environmental questions, and especially if he's going to be able to handle the COVID crisis that's happening that was so mishandled by Yanez, um, and that uh, has to be dealt with, especially in such a pov impoverished country like Bolivia. So many questions, and there are some, like, most of these questions, we might not have an answer um, now, but this is something that we should keep, like, looking into. And uh, also how this is also like going to affect the, the the rest of Latin America. I know in Ecuador we're going to have our elections next month. So how uh, we were you're talking about you were talking about like these uh, not emergence because like the left has been in power for uh, many years in different Latin American countries. But how um, what's going to be the future of the left in Latin America? And as we are having elections in different countries this year and with the, the different uh, referendums and so on. So this is something that we should keep an eye on as the future of our countries are about to be, I don't know, decide, I guess. <laughs> yes, and we'll keep we'll keep on looking and keep updated. And of course, in El Cafecito, you have 
all the analysis of these things because we're going to definitely talk about them. So thank you very much for coming. Thank you very much for the conversation. It was amazing. I think we covered most of of the politics that happened in Bolivia in the past kind of like month, year, month, and a couple of years. So uh, thank you everyone again. If you want to see El Cafecito, it's available on Spotify, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Thank you very much. Bye-bye, and I'll see you next week. Ciao, ciao.